where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere. As I was thinking about that piece, I also thought of another story that I had read recently about um, an event that happened some time ago in 2007. The Oxford English Dictionary added these words blog and chat room and database to their junior edition, which is for kids um, seven and up. And it makes sense to add those words because those are things that kids are experiencing and need in their dictionary. But to make room for those words, they took some other words out. Moss, blackberry, bluebell were removed. So were psalm and saint and chapel. In 2012, more nature words left the pages of the Oxford English Dictionary, and they were replaced with things that children experienced, like cut and paste and broadband. As you can imagine, there was a mixed response to this news. There's probably a mixed response to this news right here, right now. The Oxford English Dictionary defended the decision. They said a dictionary is meant to document language that is current. And kids' lives are more intertwined with the digital space than either the natural space or the traditional religious spaces. Others, including a group of uh, well-known writers, mourned these lost words and what it signaled. Who are we if we don't speak of the animals and the plants or of the places where sacred experiences happen? What parts of us get set aside with the words that no longer need said? Hosea didn't know anything about the digital age, but he knew a thing or two about the broken relationship between humanity and God and the rest of creation. And so this morning we're going to start our exploration of Hosea by listening to these words from chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing and lying and murder. There is only stealing and adultery. They break all bounds. Because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish of the sea are swept away. It is a hard message. In other words, Hosea is saying, when our spirits get out of whack, which I am sure is a complex theological term, the whole world suffers. It's something that continues to be noticed 
today, and it's noticed in secular circles as well as religious ones. Jonathan Porritt, who is a secular British ecologist, once said, today's so-called ecological crisis is in essence a crisis of the human spirit. As we have degraded the earth, we have corrupted our souls, caught up in a frenzy of suicidal consumerism. Ouch. But chances are you have heard this kind of critique before. One of the most frustrating things about working with the prophets is that their message is both old and urgent. One of the things that Reverend Sarah pointed out about Amos last week is that in the prophets, God is a character, has thoughts and feelings. And that's true for Hosea as well. And it helps to remember that that is the perspective that we're coming from when we are encountering the harsh words that they are sometimes speaking. But what Hosea adds to the message that Amos started is a quality of divine love. Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel says, Hosea came to spell out the astonishing fact of God's love for people. God is not only a Lord who demands justice, he is a God who is in love with his people. And that's why if you read Happenings, you know that the book of Hosea was inspiration for a romance novel. And if you were uh, keeping score with Prophet Trivia last week and then you are competitive and you continued that this week, and you're wondering about the answer. Uh, the novel was called Redeeming Love. It was by Francine Rivers and came out, I think, maybe early 90s. It is a very loose adaptation. But it's worth mentioning this morning because it captures this unique aspect of Hosea's life and prophecy. Hosea talks about God's love for God's people in terms of a marriage. And it is very intimate. It is challenging, actually, to choose some passages for Hosea to read aloud to a mixed audience on Sunday morning. This is a God who feels. And so just like us, the emotions are complex. There is heartbreak and there is anger. But Hosea tells us that's because there is love. And we know that from our own relationships. We know that our emotions rise more with the people that we love the most. And so listen to this other passage from Hosea, this deep yearning of God's, which is put in the context of this romantic relationship. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and lead her into the wilderness. And he's speaking of Israel. And I will speak to her tenderly. And then I will give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up 
out of Egypt. These kinds of passages are the kinds of passages that make it challenging to condense Hosea into the few minutes that we have to reflect together. Because most of the words, just quantitatively most of the words in Hosea are words of accusation and guilt. People have a lot to account for, and Hosea is not shy about filling the pages to let us know. But to spend all the time on the gloom and the doom that shows up in Hosea is to overlook the reason that he is speaking in the first place. Hosea isn't really interested in just berating people or shaming them for the sake of shaming them. Hosea is asking us to do better. He's asking us to remember that we are a people of blessing. And we can live into that. When I was first working with the possibility of starting an environmental justice ministry here, I asked in one of the initial just discernment meetings, I asked the group to think about their work in terms of optimism and anxiety. And we talked about how those are ways to frame messages and to take action. And so we put them on a spectrum, on a big piece of paper, and then everybody kind of had a sticky note where they could go along and mark where they wanted to be on that spectrum. And I'm sharing that here because it is relevant to Hosea and his concern for the land itself. But it is also relevant as we are thinking about any justice work we're doing. Our goal is change, which was Hosea's goal. And so one way we can help people change is to cheerlead them into it. That's on the optimism end. And we can think of a child who is learning to walk. And maybe their caregivers are standing there and they're watching them as they begin to get on all fours and then they begin to stand up holding on to something and then they take that step. And in that process, the caregivers um, are cheering and my experience is, quite frankly, making kind of a fool of themselves. (laughs) And the kid walks and they cheer for a while. Another way that we can make change is to raise the anxiety level. And so we can think of that again if we think of that same child who is older, maybe, and they walk and they do all the things, but they are also perhaps at the stage where they're not so great at doing their homework. And so those same loving caregivers might sit down and show them their grades, And they might point out to them the assignments that they are missing, and depending on how much conversation needs to happen, they might even point out that if you don't get these assignments in, you could fail this class. That is another way of helping somebody make change, and it raises the anxiety level. I feel anxious just thinking about that. It brings right back my middle school years. 
The question here isn't which approach is right. They can both have benefits in different circumstances. And I suspect that right now if I were to take a poll and ask you who you most associate with the movement for climate action in this time, you can get the name in your head and then see if you're right, but there's no points for this. I would guess who you most associate is Greta Thunberg. Uh-huh. I see some nods. Her speaking and that larger movement of the school strike movement worked because it raised the level of systemic anxiety. She made the whole world feel a little bit more anxious than they used to. It takes a prophet to tell us the truth in a way that we cannot ignore it. And it is the work of those people who are able to speak the truth in that way that helps us be open to hearing the truth spoken in another way, to hearing the possibility of that valley of trouble being turned into a gateway of hope, like the video that we started with. So if you're wondering where the Environmental Justice Ministry landed in terms of their spectrum on that day, it was a grouping kind of roughly in the middle. And I would say that is the right answer. Because hope, which is what we are charged with as people of faith, is found in that balance of what we can call optimism and anxiety. Hope is the place where we confront the truth, and then we recognize we can do something about it. What we should hear Hosea saying above all else is change is possible. And it's because of that that we can't just hear the warnings and the words about the devastation and kind of go into that shame place where it's just, oh, everything is so hard and there's nothing I can do and I might as well just give up. We are a beloved people of God who are blessed. And so we have to ask, what is our part? The last thing I want to highlight about Hosea is that the work of justice is a spiritual practice. In doing it, we heal ourselves as well as the world. But it is also a practice done in relationship. And I think that has very practical application for churches today. We talk a lot about being hospitable and inviting people in, right? That's how we open every service and all of our meetings and everything we do. That is who we want to be. But in Hosea's framework of relationship and the way that relationship itself heals, we might also be asked to think about what it looks like if we were the people who went out. What if in confronting the injustices in the world, our 
first questions became, who can we learn from? Who else is working on this? Who can we talk to to find out how to go forward? And that can be a shift in thinking, not just uh, for those of us here today, but for people in general, because I think that when we think about working for justice and changing the world, we are really excited and good at thinking up new things. And it is a gift. And there are times when that is what is needed. But there are also times where that limits us. Because we only dream up the things that we personally can do. The prophets are very clearly asking for some big efforts. That's why when they speak, they speak to the people. They speak to Israel. Even in the face of whatever tremendous turmoil or challenge they are identifying, the prophets tell us that People working together have power. That's how the whisper turns into a roar. That is the invitation for us, beloved children of God.